Hello, my name's Justin McClue, and I'm here today with... Will Sloan. And you're listening to The Important Cinema Club. And this week, we're talking about Melvin Van Peebles. And for people who don't know who he is, who is he, Will? He is one of the trailblazing African-American filmmakers. The man who is sometimes credited with having launched the black exploitation genre with his film Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song. Two A's, five S's. And just a general renaissance man who's done all sorts of things besides making movies. So here we are, two white guys. The whitest middle class guys you could get. Talking about Melvin Van Peebles. <laughs> all right. All what right. could go wrong? <laughs> Listen very closely with some pencil in hand to write down the time codes when we appear extra offensive. Listen, just be patient with us. <laughs> Please. We're well-meaning. We're trying. All right. So why are we doing Melvin Van Peebles? Well, Melvin Van Peebles is someone that's incredibly important for a number of reasons. Um, we'll get into his biography a little bit later, but he has a fascinating way that he got into movies. The fact that he um, worked for the studio and then he broke off from the studio and made a film completely independently. And it was a movie for a black audience. He was somebody who, for the last 10 years, really the, the one big black star that white people would have known in the movies was Sidney Poitier. Mm. And Melvin Van Peebles created sort of a counter-narrative to, to the Sidney Poitier films, where if, if in a movie like Guess Who's Coming to Dinner... Sidney Poitier could only appear presentable to the white public by being super overqualified. He was going to marry a white woman, but he was a Harvard doctor. Mm-hmm. So he was the best possible person he could be to counteract the fact that he was black. Yeah. Uh, Melvin Van Peebles was going to make a movie about just a regular, somewhat disreputable black person. But the way that Melvin Van Peebles actually got into filmmaking is kind of fascinating because he approached it from many different angles. Um, his biography kind of states that while growing up, he went to an art school and he got an arts degree and then he became a um, streetcar driver in San Francisco. He wrote a book of pictures with kind of like prose poetry in it, which got him fired as a streetcar driver, where he then started making short films that one thing led to another, got the attention of Henri Langlois, the director of the Cinémathèque Française in Paris. And then so then Melvin Van Peebles went to the Cinémathèque Française and just kind of lived and worked in Paris for a while. He tried to get a job at a uh, movie studios tried to direct the movie studios but they wouldn't give him a job uh, they did offer him a job as an elevator conductor mm-hmm. apparently this would have been in the 60s yes yeah. um and so melvin van peebles kind of built his artistic persona in france actually i thought that he would have somehow uh, known french before he moved to france but nope he just taught it to himself there and he's fluent now he's very he's fluent uh, as a french speaker myself when i hear him speak he has a slight accent but other than that he's very clear and he did stuff like he uh, worked for a magazine called harakiri which was a very incendiary kind of parody magazine mm. and he did stuff like according to his wikipedia page translate a uh, mad magazine <laughs> into <laughs> french and from there, he made a, a small film called uh, The Permission, also known as Story of a Three-Day Pass. You've seen this one. I haven't. Yes. What's it, it like? It's kind of like, it feels very much like a French New Way film. So it has a lot of experimentation. He does the Spike Lee dolly shot before Spike Lee even dreamt of it, <laughs> where a guy walks into a room and he's on a dolly and floats through the uh, crowd. I gotta tell you, I'm getting tired of that shot in Spike Lee's <laughs> movies. I feel, I feel like it was good the first couple times. And I feel like... Uh, like whenever I see it in one of Spike Lee's movies now, it's like, oh yeah, 
yeah, that's that's your shtick. He probably goes through the script and he's like, I got to do it here, I guess. Because yeah. people will say <laughs> that it's not there. Um, and Th- Story of a Three-Day Pass kind of has, it's kind of a, a helter-skelter kind of movie. So it's everything in the kitchen sink is thrown into it. Um, so lots of visual experimentation. The acting is a little shaky, even though the two actors have insane biographies that I'm not going to get into here. Go check the movie out. It's floating around on the internet. There was like a Melvin Van Peebles collection that was put out years ago that you can see the movie. And based on that film, he went to, I think, San Francisco again, where it played in a film festival. Mm. And someone saw it and said, oh, we need to get this new French filmmaker and get him to a studio contract. (laughs) And I guess this probably would have been around the time, too, after Easy Rider, when studios kind of didn't didn't know what to do anymore. So I I guess they were looking at various underserved audiences. Yeah, he was right on the cusp, because Story of a Three-Day Pass came out in 1968. Mm. Right. And so then he got hired by Columbia to make a film called Watermelon Man, which mm. we both saw for this podcast. Yeah, and the, and the idea of Watermelon Man sounds like dumb high concept on the surface, which is that a racist white guy wakes up one morning and now he's black, and how is he going to deal with it? And the studio originally wanted to cast someone like Alan Arkin or Jack Lemmon in the role. So he would begin the movie, Alan Arkin or somebody would begin the movie white, and then he would, I guess, play the rest of the movie in blackface. Yes, exactly. Until he woke up again at the end as a white man and in fact there was a book at the time that i assume um must have been an inspiration for this movie very popular at the time called black like me where a journalist um had some pigment some dye added to his pigmentation to make him black and lived the life of a black man and guess what he found out that he was treated differently <laughs> just like that classic eddie murphy sketch where... well, well white like me exactly. is what it was called yeah, yeah. um so I assume Watermelon Man was inspired by that a little bit. And in fact, Black Like Me was made into a movie in the 60s starring, I can't remember who, some white guy in blackface. Oh, I didn't know that. So that's a relic of its time. There's a reason you don't see that revived <laughs> <laughs> anymore. Uh, but it, so instead of getting Jack Lemmon, uh, Melvin Van Peebles got the comedian, the black comedian, Godfrey Cambridge. And Godfrey Cambridge... Godfrey Cambridge plays the first 10 or 15 minutes of this movie in ridiculous white face. <laughs> Horrifying white like, face. He looks looks kind of like the Wayans brothers in that movie <laughs> White Chicks. Yes. You remember that? Mm-hmm. Uh, and he he's really funny, uh, right? He, he, yeah, the movie is especially in its first half, is, I think, on purposely played very broadly. Uh, Godfrey Cambridge plays a white man sort of like the way that Richard Pryor does when he when he does stand-up, when he has to do a white man voice in that absurd... Uh, and he's super unlikable as a character, too. Yes. Like, he's aggressive, sarcastic, he thinks he's better than everyone. Extremely racist. And the film makes a point of saying that no one really likes him. <laughs> yeah, even white people don't yeah, like him. <laughs> exactly. So then he just goes to bed, wakes up, as a black man, and then the film kind of builds from that point on. The movie does an amazing thing when he wakes up as a black man. Uh, he It's in the middle of the night, and he sort of sleepwalks into the bathroom, and he's about to go to the bathroom, and he takes down his pants, and the camera zooms into his ass <laughs> to show that he does, in fact, have a black ass now. And then the kind of... I, that made me laugh. <laughs> <laughs> I know you're a big ass man, Will. <laughs> hey, hey, how dare you? <laughs> 
And something that we should point out about this film is that while it was a studio picture, it's all over the place visually. <laughs> Even in that sequence where he turns black, the camera zooms in on him, and then the screen uh, changes a bunch of colors, like purple, green, all this stuff. Do you think that was inspired by, at the beginning of Godard's Contempt? When... Where the uh, on Bridget Bardot's butt, and then <laughs> the uh, colors of the French flag appear? Yeah. Yeah, sure. <laughs> Let's say that. I mean... I mean, Godfrey Cambridge really is the Bridget Bardot <laughs> of, of American cinema. Uh, when... You watch this movie, you think that, like, Godfrey Cambridge is going to learn a lesson, and then at the end, he's going to wake up white and be, you know, better Which than he was before. Which is what the studio wanted, apparently. Mm-hmm. They wanted that Wizard of Oz type ending. And uh, it's a funny story. We both watched a documentary called... Uh, about Melvin Van Peebles from 2005 called uh, How to Eat Your Watermelon in White Company and Enjoy It. <laughs> and he and he said in that documentary that the studio told him they, they wanted it to end with Godfrey Cambridge waking up as a white man again. He insisted, let me film two versions. And then he just only filmed one version, which is Godfrey Cambridge stays black. And you'd think that a movie like this, the racism would be bad, but not aggressive. But in this movie, it really is. <laughs> like Well, the movie... Uh, there's a subplot of the movie is that his neighbors want him to move out so they keep calling him over and over calling him the Mm n-word making him move out and there's there's a scene towards the end of the movie where four or five of his neighbors come to his house and are prepared to offer him money to buy that collectively buy the house from him originally fifty thousand dollars and and godfrey cambridge uh talks them up to $100,000. And it's a very kind of powerful, tense scene in the middle of this goofy and after comedy. that, uh, he has a conversation with his wife where his wife accuses him of bullying them into giving him $100,000. <laughs> I think the movie, like, it's a movie that has the courage of its convictions. It actually takes the premise seriously. Uh, it's, not, it's not just, like, a dumb comedy that glosses over the possibility of its premise. It, it really does explore what would happen if this happened. <laughs> And at the end, which, I mean, we don't need to get into the specifics because we would recommend that you go see this movie. Yeah, check it out. Uh, I remember Video Hound's cult flicks and trash picks. I had that book. Called it an apocalyptic-like ending. That's a little over the top. <laughs> Very I think. over the top. I remember watching it. I saw it in a cinema. Uh, they huh. played a 35 millimeter print in Toronto. Wow. And... <sighs> You think it's going to end at a certain point, and it just kind of keeps going. And that's not to the film's detriment. It's actually a positive, because where it ends is perfect. Mm -hmm. And where it ends, I can imagine being a family seeing it in the multiplex when it came out, Mm -hmm. released by Columbia Pictures, being like, uh, how am I going to explain this to my kids? I want to uh, point out two people who are in this movie. First of all, uh, Emil Sitka. The guy who was a character actor in, like, all of the Three Stooges movies. You were so excited. You posted it all over Twitter when you, when you saw it. Emil Sitka, if you've seen the classic Three Stooges movie, Brideless Groom, he is the justice of the peace. <laughs> of who course. Says, Hold hands, you lovebuds. <laughs> He's in this movie as a delivery man who gets attacked by Godfrey Cambridge. Who seems very understanding. Yeah. Uh, and the second person I want to point out is Mantan Moreland, who plays the guy who works at the deli where Godfrey Cambridge goes every morning. Mantan Moreland uh, has kind of gone down in history in a bad way as being uh, the black comedy relief character in many Hollywood movies. Sort mm-hmm. of, a, you know, someone, somebody like Step and Fetch It or any of those guys who would have been perceived around this time as kind of an Uncle Tom and you in know. the movie, he does play that role while the main character is white. But once the main character is black, he's like, no, I'm not going to give you this guy, Dove. The uh, Internet Movie Database also says that Eddie Rochester Anderson from The Jack Benny Show is in this movie. 
Then you didn't I, spot him? I didn't spot him, but mm. apparently he's in there. Okay, so from Watermelon Man, the film wasn't a huge financial success for Columbia It, it did okay, I it think. It did okay, yeah. But uh, And I think that Melvin Van Peebles still had a three-picture deal with Columbia, mm-hmm. and he could have kept going, but he decided, nope, that's not for me. I think, uh, from what I read, that he had a lot of difficulties dealing with the studios, mm-hmm. that they wanted a lot of stuff that he wouldn't give. Mm-hmm. So he decided, I'm just going to make my own movie. Like, my way. And he said he wanted to make a movie that was a tr- what he thought of as a true reflection of black life in America at that time. Mm-hmm. Something, again, that wasn't the Sidney Poitier version. And that movie was Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Which, we're going to talk about uh, Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song in relation to another movie that was released in the 2000s. 2004. Which was called Badass, just badass, spelled the same way, directed by Melvin Van Peebles' son, Mario Van Peebles, who, if people don't know, he was... Kind of a big actor in the 90s. Yeah, and he's still working today. He was in, uh, well, he directed New Jack City. Yeah, he, and he directed starred New in Jack it, City. Which was kind of his big claim to fame. He's been in other movies, including, uh, he was in Michael Mann's Alley playing Malcolm X. Now he's kind of in direct-to-video world. So. Yeah, yeah, he's directing a new film uh, with Nicolas Cage. I know, it? I've seen the poster. <laughs> and uh, most famously, Melvin Van Peebles and Mario Van Peebles acted together in Jaws 4 The Revenge. <laughs> I've never seen that. <laughs> it's not good. <laughs> Badass, like I mentioned, kind of tracks the making of Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song mm-hmm. with Mario Van Peebles playing his dad. So Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song begins with young Sweetback, age 11 or 12, growing up in a house of prostitution. Played by Mario Van Peebles. Yes. Young Sweetback is played by Mario, Melvin's son. Yeah. And uh, in the opening scene, one of the prostitutes invites Sweetback into her room and undresses him and makes him have sex with her. So, and then, like any 11-year-olds having sex for the first time, he brings her to a powerful orgasm. (laughs) What didn't happen to you? Uh, 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 That's a very personal question, Justin. (laughs) We're going to answer that question off mic. (laughs) Um, And then it cuts to Adult Sweetback, played by Melvin, uh, finishing having sex with this prostitute. Do you think he aged, like, from the orgasm? Well, the thing is, it's like, it symbolizes two things. It symbolizes that, A, ha- having had sex, Sweetback has become a man, and B, it symbolizes that in that 20 years, Sweetback was just fucking and fucking and fucking and fucking, <laughs> you know? Yep, I- I'm sure that's exactly what Ma- just, Melvin Van Peebles wanted you to think. handing out orgasms left and right. <laughs> so, Melvin, uh, I mean, Sweetback... Uh, works at this house of prostitution now, now that he's in his 30s, basically performing live sex shows and being a gigolo. And uh, through circumstances too complicated to explain, he ends up killing two police officers who are roughing up uh, an innocent young black man. Mm-hmm. And he has to go on the lam, run and run and run into the Mexican border while the police chase him. And that's the entire plot of the movie. Like, but, we're not kidding. Because... Basically, but it kind of goes through, you see Sweetback, go meet various people, be in various little tableaus that show something about um, the poorer part of the black community at the time. And we should note here that for people who haven't seen this movie, uh, it is like nothing you've ever seen, probably. This kind of story you expect it to be told in a very exploitative way. Mm -hmm. And I don't think that's exactly what Melvin Van Peebles was going for with it. It's almost, it's kind of like a tone poem in a weird way. (laughs) Exactly. Like French New Wavy, like Godard almost had his... You know, none of this is most experimental, but like at the beginning of his experiment, there were a lot of uh, weird optical effects and a lot of montages of Sweetback running with the earth, wind and fire music playing Uh, a lot of scenes that 
really don't have a lot of relation to the main plot, just mm-hmm. like cops going into drug dens and and houses of prostitution. And- or Sweetback running, and then it cuts to just everyday people talking about Sweetback and what mm-hmm. kind of person he was and stuff like that. Mm-hmm. And this movie, we should note, was made completely independently there was no studio backing at all well if the movie the movie badass the biopic about him is, is to be believed it was a real like seat of your pants production where everything like melvin van peebles would have hired he plays sweetback and he would have hired somebody else to play him but they just didn't have the money or in melvin van peebles book about the film this is a really funny story uh certain of the sex scenes in this film went past the point of simulation yeah and according to melvin's book about the production he contracted gonorrhea during one of the sex scenes and so he was able to apply for compensation for having been injured on the job <laughs> and collect a certain amount of money for that and use that money to buy film. And in the movie, they even, they say that to get the film past the unions, they had to pretend to be a black porno. So the first three or four days, they filmed all the sex scenes, basically. So when the union guys came into the uh, projection booth while they were watching dailies, they were like, oh, there's a black porno. Mm. We, don't, we don't need to bother with this. Uh, this movie, you know, barely got completed. Uh, It got completed because uh, of a $50,000 donation by Bill Cosby, Mm -hmm. uh, who is a friend of Melvin Van Peebles. Melvin Van Peebles would go on to direct an episode of The Cosby Show, the 70s version, between um, Watermelon Man and Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song. And it's just interesting because, I mean, maybe it's easy to forget now that Bill Cosby is kind of in disrepute, but Mm -hmm. uh, for, for all of his career, Bill Cosby was kind of presenting the opposite narrative that Melvin Van Peebles was. Bill Cosby was kind of the uh, uplifting the race, positive images. Yeah. Uh, so, but he clearly understood the value of this. And we should say that Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song, I don't know why I'm saying the entire title every time, but yeah. it's not a fun film. When Melvin Van Peebles made it, he definitely wanted it to have an impact. Because it was very influential on the blaxploitation genre, mm-hmm. you go in at this point expecting it to be more like a blaxploitation movie yeah. with, you know, a, a really conventional narrative and action scenes. And mm-hmm. uh, But again, it's more of a, a weird poem. Like the, the last 20 or 30 minutes of the movie, I think the movie basically runs out of plot. Yeah, so it's just Melvin Van Peebles running through the desert. With music and and some sort of repetitive scenes with the cops chasing after him, the, the racist police force. Which I, you know, I don't know, I was watching this movie on the bus yesterday. Um, <laughs> Where it's meant to be watched. A, a, as you should. It was, it was a sparse bus, <laughs> so I could get away with it. And you were on your laptop, not on um, the TV <laughs> yes. of the bus playing that film. No, and there, I don't know, there was something watching it uh, just in, in the pitch black where the movie just kind of like washed over me in mm. a weird way. It was the, the, this weird mood piece. Yeah, well, that's exactly what mm. it is. Melvin Van Peebles said that while he was shooting it, he just directed the hell out of it and he would make it up in editing. Mm. And you could definitely feel that watching the film. And we talked about Orson Welles last week being somebody who the circumstances of some of his later movies dictated the style. Mm -hmm. That's clearly the case here where it was like he shot what footage he could and created this kind of pastiche of the footage he shot. Yeah, like while um, Story of a Three-Day Pass and Watermelon Man are kind of films that are constructed and there's an idea behind it as far as like the way that the story is going to be told, Sweetbacks is like over-edited, 
to the point of almost incomprehensibility. <laughs> it, it does feel like a real underground film, though. Mm. A truthful depiction of what it represents. I mean, I don't know. What would I know? But, <laughs> yeah, what would we know? But I don't know. It, it feels that way. Exactly, it, it, yeah. feels, it feels documentary-like at times. And the reason that we're probably talking about this movie as well is that when Melvin Van Peebles went to go release it himself, because he's not a studio, no one would pick it up. And what ended up happening was the Black Panthers really took it under their wing and championed it. Mm -hmm. And I believe, I don't have any statistics on me, but it was one of the most um, successful independent films. Yeah, it's, it supposedly made $15 million. Mm -hmm. uh, there's an apocryphal story that, I don't believe it's true, but the, the story is that uh, Shaft was rewritten. For, it, used, it was going to originally star a white guy and it was rewritten to star a black character because of the success of Sweetback. I don't think that's true because uh, the book it was based on is about a black detective. But I know that's one of those facts you hear repeated so often. Yeah, so often that you're like, wait, is it true? Yeah. Because, I mean, it's impossible to talk about Sweet Sweetback's Badass Song without talking about black exploitation and the genre that would come kind of after that. Before the film came out, Sweet Sweetback's, uh, there was They Call Me Mr. Tibbs, sequel to um, Heat of the Night. Mm, and with Sidney Poitier. There was also Cotton Comes to Harlem. Which that was Cotton Comes to Harlem is, is often considered the very first black exploitation film. And it was also directed by Ozzie Davis, mm. which was very rare when it came to black exploitation films because they were usually directed by white guys. Mm. And before this, I mean, in the, in the 10s, the 20s, the 30s, there was an alternative black cinema. Uh, the most f famous practitioner of it was the director Oscar Michaud who was the most prolific black filmmaker of the 20th century, I believe. Mm -hmm. He made something like 40 films. Uh, these were extremely low-budget films that were shown in kind of specialty black-only movie houses in the South. Oscar Michaud was a black filmmaker. Spencer Williams was black. But many of the people who made these all-black cast movies were actually white people, and many of them were financed by white people. Yeah. Like, the, like the Sidney Poitier movies these movies definitely presented an image of uplifting the race mm -hmm. or presenting the best possible version of black life. Oscar Michelle was very much influenced by Booker T. Washington, who wrote a book called Up From Slavery and was the founder of, I believe, Tuskegee University. Mm -hmm. um, somebody who was very much professed the philosophy of pulling yourself up by your own bootstraps. And, you know, we can't blame white people for all our problems. And, uh, you know, we have to uplift the race ourselves. That's not the story that... Sweet Sweetback no. uh, tells, and and which may, I, it may, makes Sweet Sweetback very unique in the history of black cinema. I mean, in the scene where Sweet Sweetback beats up the police officers, um, the guy that he saves thanks him, or he says, I think he says, like, we thank you, or whatever, mm -hmm. and Sweet Sweetback says one of the only three lines that he says in the <laughs> movie, which he goes, what are you talking about this we stuff, or something like that. Sweet Sweetback is the original Silent Bob. <laughs> You can't help but bring Kevin Smith into any <laughs> conversation about a filmmaker, can you? He's one of the greats. I mean, if we had to say one filmmaker was the Melvin Van Peebles of our generation, don't, I think don't Kevin even, Smith. don't even. We're joking, please. <laughs> this is a joke. And after that, Melvin Van Peebles, he actually put some shows on Broadway, which were pretty big hits to the point that one of the musical numbers of one of them was featured at the Tony Awards. Yeah, one of them received something like eight or nine Tony nominations. He was, I think, the only black playwright to have two plays on Broadway at the same time. Mm -hmm. And they were both plays about black inner city life. Uh, one of them was like a lot of different vignettes. Um, and the other one was about a party being thrown and devil bats came in and tried to break it up. The documentary about Melvin Van Peebles that we saw indicated that, you know, the black exploitation boom lasted for about five years and 
because the movie started losing money, there was just an assumption in Hollywood, oh, black people aren't going to go see these movies anymore. Let's just stop making them. And so even if Melvin Van Peebles had wanted to keep making movies in Hollywood, there weren't necessarily a lot of offers for him because they thought, oh, it's just a fad that's over now. He made a movie based on his stage play and was kind of filmed like a stage play. Mm -hmm. And after that, he segued out of filmmaking pretty much. Well, in the 80s, he became a very successful Wall Street investor. <laughs> he did, yeah. He wrote a book about investing on Wall Street. And there's some crazy videos of him giving advice of how he could change the world. Uh, yeah, well, he was, a, he was a regular on Al Goldstein's Midnight Blue, the uh, cable access, like, porno talk show. Well, I've never heard of that. You've never heard of it? <laughs> no. Yeah, Midnight, I mean, this is a bit of a digression, but... <laughs> Al Goldstein, the uh, publisher of Screw Magazine, had this show called Midnight Blue where he would like interview porn stars yeah. and document the sex community of uh, New York at the time. And Melvin Van Peebles would go on that show and just like do random shit. Like, <laughs> <laughs> tell, uh, there's one video in the documentary where it's him explaining how they can uh, help the homeless problem by giving beds to homeless people and prostitutes. I think that Melvin Van Peebles, um, his gender politics are problematic. We're not going to get into it any more than that. Yeah. I mean, listen, you can't be perfect. <laughs> and uh, after that, like we said, Melvin Van Peebles has directed a film here and there, but looking for them, they haven't been released at all. He made a film in France called Bellyful mm -hmm. in French, and I couldn't find copies anywhere. Mm -hmm. And um, pretty much other than that, he's been acting like he acts in a bunch of stuff, like in Fist of the North Star, the Gary Daniels classic. You know, I saw Melvin Van Peebles uh, sing at one point. I saw him do a music performance. Oh, really? Yeah. Uh, this was a few years ago at a place called the 92Y Tribeca in, in New York, where there was uh, I had at that place. I don't think I had literally ever once seen a black man. <laughs> So and obviously when he played, it was filled with black people. right? Uh, no, it had about uh, 15 or 16 white people like myself. So it was a bit of a dreary gathering. You said the same thing when we saw Cotton Comes to Harlem at the TIFF Lightbox that you looked around the audience and it was just white people. Well, you know, I want to talk about this in relation to black exploitation because I feel like there's nowadays there's a huge kind of white following for black exploitation movies. I find it a little bit problematic mm -hmm. because... Uh, Sweetback's a good movie, Shaft's a good movie, Superfly's a good movie, but when I see white people really geeking out over something like Blackula or Black Samson or one of the, or you know Black Belt Jones with Jim Kelly, one of the great movie. You know, they're, they're fun, but like there's a bit of a camp element involved in them. Mm -hmm. Um and and white people I think are watching them at least in part to kind of laugh at them. And there's a bit there's an element of laughing at these kind of like there's some there's some element of laughing at empowered studly black heroes that I find problematic. Oh, you think they're laughing at that as opposed to the goofy nature of Black Belt Jones fighting in a bubbled car wash? I think it's hard to differentiate between the two at some okay. point in some of these movies. I mean, look, I'm, I'm, maybe I'm a little bit guilty of it too because I'm think... doing a podcast on Melvin Van Peebles. Well, well, I'm not doing a podcast on Black Belt Jones. <laughs> yes. Okay, I th but next week we'll be talking about <laughs> the, the films, films of, of Robert Class. <laughs> yeah. I don't know. There, there's something about it that rubs me the wrong way a little bit. Okay. I think, I think it's problematic. So you saw Melvin Van Peebles and he played a concert. Well, there was a lot of uh, audience participation in the concert. Like we were supposed to sing along. He had this song, my love belongs to you. My love mm -hmm. belongs to you. And we had to sing along with that. And normally I hate audience participation, but because there were 15 people there, I was like participating so <laughs> loudly. I was like, yeah, my love belongs to you. Cause I can't even imagine. That. Look, I don't want 85 year old Melvin Van Peebles to have a bad show. <laughs> 
I or felt, to die on stage because no one participates. I felt, I felt so sad. Like this great man deserves more than fifteen like stupid people at his at his show. <laughs> Moving away from Melvin Van Peebles a little bit, his son Mario Van Peebles also became a director. But like his father, he kind of worked his way up through the studio system. With his first theatrical feature film being New Jack City, which, as far as I could tell, kind of kicked off that urban gangster movie that lasted, I think, three years. That like, like Bo- Juice, Boys on the, the Hood, Hood, yeah, uh, Menace to Society, and all that stuff. And New Jack City is still a favorite movie of many people. Mm-hmm. I watched it uh, yesterday, and that movie is goofy as hell. It oh. al- it's it almost structured like something like Sweetback's Badass Song, where it's all over the place. Like, for 20 minutes, we follow Chris Rock as a drug addict who joins the, the police. And then afterwards, it's um, Ice-T and Judd Nelson that have to take down Wesley Snipes in crazy John Woo-style gunfight <laughs> scenes. The ending actually finishes in a weird factory setting where there's Dario Argento style like red and blue lighting on everybody <laughs> like it's an insane film I, it doesn't sounds fun I yeah, should see it it doesn't quite work but it's definitely someone making a first film so everything is like a Dutch angle and crazy <laughs> well I love Badass mm-hmm. his film about his dad um, one of the major plot points of Badass is the fact that Melvin made his son Mario participate in a sex scene mm-hmm. and I think the fact that he lingers over that uh, detail so much in his film Badass shows what an impact that left on him and how kind of upsetting he found that. I don't know. What do you think of that? I, I mean, yeah, definitely. The whole film Badass kind of centers around that father-son relationship. Mm-hmm. But at the same time, I also want to talk about that Badass the movie was made in a situation that was Almost kind of like Sweetbacks, where Mario Van Peebles wanted to make this movie and nobody wanted to give him money mm-hmm. until I think it was Showtime said, we'll give you a million dollars to make it mm-hmm. and you can do whatever you want. And a million dollars to make a movie like Badass is crazy. Well, it's a period film with like a cast of dozens. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, I don't know. It doesn't look like it cost a million. It looks like a real legit production. Mm-hmm. In the introduction to um, the making of of Sweet Sweetbacks, Mario Van Peebles kind of talks about how he's had kind of a combative relationship with his father. And that kind of comes out of the fact that doing his art was his most important thing and nothing else mattered, mm-hmm. including his son. You like Melvin the least in the movie when he's making his son participate in that sex scene. Mm -hmm. And there's part of the movie where his crew is jailed for the weekend on suspicion of having stolen their equipment or something. Yeah. He refuses to visit them in prison because he needs to get the movie done, which shows what a stern taskmaster he was. I mean, in the book... Um, Melvin is quoted as saying, don't make me look too nice. <laughs> yeah, and it is a warts and all the pictures. I mean, you leave badass admiring him. Yeah, of course. But it's like, a warts and all the pictures. Yeah, any great artist, it's, you know, the good and the bad, and the bad sometimes outweighs the good. <laughs> yeah. So the movie Badass wasn't very successful at the time. Uh, it was very well reviewed. I think Ebert and Roper had it on their top 10 lists and stuff like that. But it, it didn't make a lot of money. And I feel like it's been kind of forgotten. Yeah, that's so weird. The only uh, reason... I have heard of it is that I saw it on the shelves at Rogers Video when they would sell those DVDs for like Mm. two for $14. And I don't know, like, was it just kind of fucked by timing? Because I think of a movie like uh, Straight Outta Compton, which is uh, a very entertaining movie, Mm -hmm. but it was a cultural phenomenon last year, I think, because it came out at the right time. It came out, uh, at least in part because it came out at the right time, came out when, you know, issues of uh, racially motivated police brutality were something that everyone was thinking about. 
I don't know. Were, were those just issues that people weren't thinking about much in 2004? Like, well, I mean, I, I'm sure people were thinking about it, but they weren't on the like media public consciousness. I feel like if Badass were released on Netflix uh, as a Netflix original, how right many now, think pieces would there be? It It'd would be it, like a million. It would be a lot bigger. Yes, I completely agree yeah. with you. Which you know, Netflix should buy it and just you know, yeah, pump it top of page one <laughs> and be like, it just got uh, released this year, and no one would know. And while they could release it uh, coincide, coinciding with that new Nicolas Cage movie that Mario Van Peebles <laughs> is making. See, you loved the Nicolas Cage movie. Now, see what he did before. In badass. <laughs> yeah. So what are we doing next week? You know, we want to keep this trend of important filmmakers. We did Orson Welles. We did Melvin Van Peebles. What does Canada have to offer? We're going to be talking about Paul Gross. Boo! Hey, 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 hey. That's not how we're going to approach him. Boo! Listen, Will. We're going to treat Paul Gross with the respect that we would give to any artist. Nope. What? Uh, Come on. False equivalence. Absolutely. Well, listen. But people are probably like, why are they booing? I don't know who Paul Gross is. Give him a little bit of background on Paul Gross. Paul Gross is like... Canada's filmmaker. Mm-hmm. Uh, you may say, wait, I thought that was David Cronenberg or I thought that was Adam McGoy. And nope, Paul Gross is is the guy who makes the kind of big, partially state-funded uh, movies that epitomize Canada at its best. So he made Passchendaele, the, which I think is still the most expensive Canadian movie of all time uh, about Canada's participation in World War One. He made Men with Brooms, the classic... Um, <laughs> L- Leslie Nielsen? Le- Leslie Nielsen is the classic curling comedy. <laughs> yeah. uh, he made. He recently made a little film called Hyena Road about Canada's participation in Afghanistan. And, you know, he starred, as an actor, he starred in the, the hit show Due South, where he played a Mountie. And we can't forget the critically loved Slings and Arrows. That's right. And he's a stage actor of some renown. I remember when, uh, around 2011 or so, Paul Gross, I don't know why I'm telling this now, but I just think it's so funny. Uh, Paul Gross was appearing on Broadway, and the New York Times did a profile of him where they said, Gross, a huge star in his homeland. (laughs) And I guess, well, you know, I guess he's the closest we've got. I mean, when Men With Brooms came out, do you remember? how heavily advertised it was everywhere, it, every trailer. Men with Brooms, for those of you who live in America, you might not know this, but when Men with Brooms came with came out, it almost felt like like a civic duty to go see it. I didn't I I'm gonna be honest here that I have never seen any Paul Gross movie. I haven't even oh. seen him act. Wait, you're the one who was pushing for this. I did. You bastard, I'm, I've seen them all. <laughs> I'm fascinated <laughs> by how did he get to where he is? Yeah. Like, how was he the one that they picked and they said, this will be the ambassador to Canada? And I think as Canadians, it will be interesting to to watch his films and see what does it say about us? What mm-hmm. does it say about our country? I mean, when Men With Brooms came out, it was so big that there was an article in the National Post with an interview with the guy who did the novelization of the movie. Oh, <laughs> it was so big that it opened at number four at the Canadian box office. <laughs> You know, maybe if they had advertised it a little more, we'd go see it. So next week, we'll be watching all of Paul Gross's films. Oh, boo. And we'll be watching um, Score a Hockey Musical. Okay, no. And the Corner Gas film. Oh, get out. Or no, let's watch Red Green Stuck Tape Forever. (laughs) No. So tune in next week because it's going to be the Canadiana episode. And I'm sure Will will have tons of stories because you've interviewed a lot of these people. I have. I've met Paul Gross. And you you interviewed Red Green. I did, yeah. (laughs) This is what this is what you do if you've worked in Canadian media. <laughs> All right, like uh, so. I think next week the ones we picked were Hyena Road and Slings and Arrows. 
Yeah, listen, I'm going to look at them all. Yeah, we're going to watch them all. Yeah. Um, maybe out of the corner. I have eye. no life. <laughs> this, it's Paul Gross week. Just Paul Gross. I'm gonna, all the I'll time. be doing my dishes watching Passchendaele. It's okay. And if everybody knows Paul Gross and he wants to make a counterpoint on this podcast. Oh, yeah. If, if Paul Gross, if you're listening, because I know you're a fan, <laughs> if you, if you, if you want to come on and be a guest host, we'll treat you with respect. Even though that when I said his name, you just booed loudly. <laughs> no, listen, I'm a star fucker. If he comes, I'll love him. All right. So that's what we're doing next week. My name's Justin LeClue. My name's Will Sloan. Thanks for listening. If we have any fans out there who would like to make a super cut of all the impressions I've done on, <laughs> please on, on don't. all the podcasts, please do that. You can email it to loosecannonspodcast at gmail.com. I will summarily delete it. <laughs> Call it the new Rich Little. <laughs> you think you would be like thrown into despair listening to it? Like, <laughs> yeah. Oh my god! Yeah, may- maybe this might be one of those monkey's paw situations. <laughs> <laughs>